Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Less and receive more. You know, diddle them out there. And then number two, they had lightweights. And what did they use the lightweights in? For buying in. So they would diddle the the seller and uh, get more for their money. But then there were the sanctuary weights, the weights of the sanctuary according to the divine standard. So what we're trying to do here today is balance out. Now, all the truths in the Bible, and uh, you know, it's taken me years to come to this, but I try to be a balanced presentation. So, all right, how many believe here? Because I'm talking to an intelligent bunch of people, yes? All right, we believe that the Bible teaches that God is one. So if we take all the scriptures on the oneness of God and put them on one side of the scales, we get out of balance. And see, Islam, we believe in Allah, one God. See, so we have certain uh, uh, monotheistic religions and so it becomes unbalanced because the same Bible that reveals that God is one also shows that God is three. He's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if we take all the scriptures on the oneness of God, we can get out of balance and get into what we call certain heresies, Jesus only, or Unitarianism. Or else if we put the scriptures on the threeness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, in my wandering days years ago, I went to a church where they believed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and uh, they sort of worship three gods. So they'd give the father a turn, and after they thought he was happy, then they'd move to the son and uh, worship and some, sing some songs about the son. And then the, 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 when they thought he was happy, then they'd go to God the Holy Spirit. And I, I used to think, you know, when you get to heaven, and this is a good question to challenge you on, when you get to heaven, who do you think you're going to see? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three gods? That's tritheism. We don't believe in three separate gods. We believe in one God who's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And best illustration of that, when people ask me, I say, okay, I am a triune being, but hallelujah, there's only one Kevin Connor. Reen said, praise God. Yeah, (laughs) one of me is enough. But see... But I I am three in one and one in three. I'm spirit, soul and body. But I'm not three Kevin Connors, praise God. I believe there's four in Melbourne. But I said, my name is E-R, not O-R. So I have to get, you know, I couldn't miss a million dollars on that. So I I haven't got much faith. Anyway, so just to keep balance. Okay, take another one quickly here. A divine sovereignty. Human responsibility, just balancing the scales, predestination foreknowledge. Let me ask you a question here. How many believe Judas was predestined to sell Christ out for money he never lived to spend? Hands up. How many haven't got a hand? Hands up. (laughs) I said this to a man who was trying to reconcile Armenianism and and, uh, Calvinism. I said, impossible. When you stand before God or when Judas stands before God and God says, okay, why did you sell Christ out for money you never lived to spend? Is Judas going to be able to sling it up in the face of God? Well, you predestined me. I had no option. Why didn't you pick on Peter? He's always blabbing his mouth or uh, or, uh, Matthew. He was was, uh, after the GST. How many of you know what GST means? God said tithes. God didn't say tips. Thank Thank you. Uh, are you getting it? Okay. Oh. Okay. How, what about the divinity of Christ and humanity of Christ? See, if you put all the scriptures on the deity of Christ, you nullify his humanity. But then Christ, uh, Christian science, Mormonism, more uh, yeah, scattered day saints, what do you call them? Anyway, you know, uh, they all overemphasize his humanity and they destroy his divinity. Jesus is the God-man. They're the union in the one person of the two natures of Christ. So every truth, and so what I'm going to be on today is number five, law and grace. Balancing 
the scales with law and grace. Now, all of us praise God, and I do. Uh, all of us are here by the grace of God. And I don't know uh, where you're on, on this, but I find lots of books coming out. Uh, on a, 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 maybe some of you have seen them, like Amazing Grace. How many have seen that book out? It's uh, just recently or in the last year or so. And then how many have seen a, another book on it which, call, uh, which is called What's So Amazing About Grace? Uh, that's an, another book out. And then I just downloaded a book last night and I just glanced through it and I thought, uh-uh, just out of balance, out of balance. So, uh, and the most famous song that we all know and even the sinners know and we'll sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. I mean, that's a worldwide song, and yet just go through the thing. Okay, now, so what we want to do is, I want to pick up this, so full of grace and truth, and the law was given by Moses, uh, but grace and truth came. Now, notice that what it doesn't say. The law was given by Moses, or through Moses, and grace came by Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that. It says grace, what's the other word? And truth. Now, the best illustration of this is, and uh, I'm not going to preach the everlasting gospel, but I want to give you a good word today. Turn to John chapter 8, and bear with me as I read a bit of John chapter 8. Let's see here, John chapter 8. And I'd like to read verses uh, 1 through, through a little bit here. This is the, probably the best illustration in the Gospel of, of John. So in the uh, Gospel of John, at verse 1, we're told, I'm reading of the New King James, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, listen carefully, and we, we, I know you do, but just to reaffirm it, we do believe in the inspiration of the Bible, don't we? We don't believe, and I get agitated with preachers say, a lot of the words in the Bible are just peripheral, they're just there to fill up the book. I don't believe that. I believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's how fanatical I am. All the fanatics said. Okay, now listen carefully to verse 2. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to hear him, and he sat down. That's why I need a high seat today, but we'll, we'll give it a miss today. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, uh, they said to him, Teacher or Master, this woman was caught in, the, in adultery in the very act. Now, I'm going to ask some awkward questions. Being an Australian and you Australians here, you know what you'd ask. These are the questions I'd ask in a moment. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in, in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses. Now, what are they doing? They're pitting Moses against Jesus. The law was given by Moses, but grace, and they're missing out on this part, grace came by Jesus Christ. So they look at Moses, the law, and Jesus, grace. Is he greasy grace? He's forgiven sins, whatever. So they profess to uphold Moses. All right, we'll come back to that in a moment. You can be seated uh, at the moment. Thank you, Adrian, for being such a sensible boy. You sensible boy. <laughs> for me, you silly boy. Does that balance that out? Thank you. Okay. Oh, you can turn that off now. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. That's all right. All right, now back to verse 5. So now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? So we get the point. They're pitting Moses and Jesus. Moses, the law, was given by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. And they, in their mind, they don't understand grace. Uh, verse uh, 6 now. This they said, testing him, or tempting him and testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, and I love this, I'd, if I was there, I'd be saying, give me a J, give me an E, give me an S, give me a U. Jesus, suck it to them, <laughs> being an Australian. Uh, so Jesus said, to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now, the only one that was without sin there was Jesus. 
he's the only one that could really throw a stone. So he's, he's going he's to use the very Moses and the very law that they profess to uphold. He's going to use that to eliminate them in a moment. So sto- uh, throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped on, uh, down and wrote on the ground. And uh, it's no use. I've heard people speculate what he wrote on the ground. We haven't got a clue. Uh, if we had it, we would have put a plaster of Paris or something and got it in concrete there. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We don't know. Now, notice what Jesus is doing here. In verse, um, verse uh, 5, they say Moses in the law. So the law was given by Moses, and so they profess uh, that they're upholding Moses. Now, in verse 9, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience... Now we move from the law of Moses, external, to the law of conscience, internal. Okay, so uh, then those who heard of being convicted by their conscience. So if you want to put down scripture here, I've got a scripture. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Romans 2, verse 14 and 15, where it says, The Gentiles which have not the law show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing their witness and their thoughts, accusing or else excusing. So the law of conscience. Now, on the, on the personal side, what I believe is that Adam and Eve uh, were created with a conscience, but conscience was inactive until... They violated God's commandment, don't eat of the forbidden tree. So the moment that happened, conscience started to work. They got into the fig leaf (laughs) bikini department, you know, and joined the greenies and made their fig leaves, you know, everything like that. Anyway, we better leave that one there. Okay. So he uses the law of conscience. They went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So he used the law that they professed to uphold. Moses, in the law, says, such should be stone. And now, what do you say? So it's Jesus versus Moses. Law against grace. What are we going to do? All right, now. Um, let me see. Oh, yeah. Uh, let, me, let me see. I had a couple of questions here. Where did I find them? That, first of all, and, and pardon me being an Australian, but they said, we caught this woman in the act of adultery, in the very act. Now, how did they know where the place was? Would you ask a question like that? Is that just me? Have I got a bad mind? No, I haven't. Just typical Australian, ask the questions. How did they know where the place was? And then number, number two question, I'd be asking... How did they catch her in the very act? Were they peeping toms, peeping through the keyhole? Oh, yeah, in the very act. And then the worst thing is this, because uh, let me see if I've got the scriptures, just so I give you the scripture. Um, I think it's uh, Exodus chapter 20. Oh, yeah, let me find it. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. Do not commit adultery. So that's just a... Plain moral commandment. Uh, but in Leviticus chapter, uh, that's uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And now Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Leviticus 20, verse 10. And then in that verse it says, The adulterer and the adulteress, they will both be put to death. Now, sorry, why did they bring the woman and why not the man? I mean, is the man running to Australia? Has he got a Qantas flight? Uh, I mean, what, you see the hypocrisy of it. So Jesus is going to expose their hypocrisy. Okay, so he wants to eliminate them. He doesn't want to contradict Moses and endorse what she's doing, but he wants to eliminate those guys who are hypocrites professing to uphold Moses. And uh, I, I don't know, you know. I don't know whether these guys had heard the teaching of Jesus uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, that uh, you've heard of old time, and Moses said this, don't commit adultery. But I say, 
If you look on a woman, you've already committed on Now, when I was young, and I, you know, I've confessed sins I've never yet committed. <laughs> I want to be so right with God. And I, when I read that, I thought, oh, if you look on a woman, and I'd be walking down the street, and all of a sudden I see a woman. Oh, I'm not so, oh I mustn't look on a woman. And I bump into the lamppost, you know, I mean, so many lampposts. But Jesus said, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, and you, oh, I wasn't lusting, I didn't have any desire, but I saw a woman, and I thought, oh, if I look, <laughs> you know, so many lampposts are bent over by me. Okay, so, <laughs> so I said, why didn't they bring the man? How'd they know where the place was? And why'd they bring the woman in the very act? And where was the man? The hypocrisy. So Jesus is going to use the very law that they upheld and uh, whether they had heard his Sermon on the Mount, if you look on a woman to lust after in your heart, it's already heart adultery. So Moses condemned the act, but Jesus condemns the thought. That's the difference. Okay, so what happens? So now I want you to go to the next verse if you've got your Bible open and just little words, but I want to break it in a moment. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Now, I want to freeze this in the middle of the verse for a reason. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, notice that was grace. But we mustn't stop there. We mustn't stop there. I want you to note the use of the word condemn because, you see, I think uh, a lot of, you know, uh, what we call, what's floating around in Australia and other nations here, radical grace and uh, it's become greasy grace in some spots. I was talking to someone uh, just last night, uh, actually, and they said, well, I don't go to any meetings now, but I, I'm, I'm feeding on radical grace. What do you think? I said, well, it's just a balance, balance balance out uh, some extremes here. So I want you to go back to a very familiar verse because you see a lot of preachers today say, oh there's no condemnation in Christ, okay there's no condemnation, so any condemnation you want to get rid of it. Hey, just a, just a moment, we're just trying to balance out. So let's go to John chapter 3 still in the Gospel of John. So John chapter 3 and I want you to note something here because, you know, as I've been studying this uh, over the months and that, uh, it, it just opened up something and I said, well, am I presenting a balanced message on grace, uh, well, grace and truth in a moment. Go down to verse 16, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, and uh, I'm going to read it from Old King James here. We know that so well. But I want you to notice, and if you mark your Bible, I want you to note the use of the word condemn and I've underlined it here, it's used in one time in verse 17 and then twice in verse 18 and then once in verse 19, four times. Now, notice that Jesus has used the law of Moses that their professor uphold and the law of conscience to eliminate these bunch of hypocrites, scribes and Pharisees. He's used that to eliminate them. Now he can deal with the woman in a balanced way. So let's read verse 16, which we all know so very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, <coughs> pardon me, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now everybody knows that verse, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. People, Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. He came to save the world. He didn't come to condemn. Hey, just a minute, just keep reading. He that believeth, verse 18 now, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because, or the cause, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what we're asking in the gospel is people are already under condemnation. So when we present the gospel of the grace of God to them, we're asking them to come out of condemnation 
there's no condemnation to the, those who are in Christ. Why don't you put down uh, somewhere in 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, when God looks down on the late planet Earth, he only sees two men. And, and, and Paul puts, I forget what verse it is, but he says, uh, in Adam all die, in Christ all can be made alive. So when God looks down on the late planet Earth, he only sees two men. Everybody outside of Christ is in Adam. When we accept Christ, we come out of being in Adam into Christ. So there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ. I've changed my old man. <laughs> Everybody said amen. I'm in a new man. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. That's the issue. So people who are outside of Christ are still in Adam and they're under con condemnation. Okay, and then the answer is in verse 19. This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. I am the light of the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So the issue of condemnation is outside of Christ, there's condemnation. We have to come out of being in Adam and come into being in Christ. All right, now let's go back to John chapter 8 in the light of that. So I want you to note the use of the word condemn. So when Jesus had raised himself up, verse 10 now, John chapter 8, saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, that was grace. Now, if he had stopped there, the woman could have gone home and continued living like she was with a bunch of men and said, well, he didn't condemn me. Jesus didn't, didn't come to condemn me. Okay, I'm still, I can still live. You see, the, the sad thing is just a, oh, a few weeks back, I think, somewhere, someone sent me an uh, email and uh, they'd taken a bunch of uh, mission, missionary workers to uh, Thailand and uh, they were, I forget how many exactly, but I think they said about 40 prostitutes had been saved. That's wonderful. But they didn't read this grace and truth. And so what did they say? They told me in the email, we told them in America how prostitutes were saved, gloriously saved, but because they had no other means of living, they went back to their industry of prostitution. Now, you see, that was grace without truth. Now, let's continue the verse. I purposely did that because I wanted to digress there. So, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But now the truth is, go and sin no more. In other words, stop sinning. That was truth. Now, Jesus never ministered grace without truth. And he never ministered truth without grace. So if you minister grace without truth, you get into, pardon the expression, greasy grace. And I saw this years ago, and that's what I, I'm, uh, I'm not fearful of it here, but as my wife and I travel around and say, oh, the grace message, you're not into the grace message, radical grace, say, hey, let's keep balance. And I, this happened years ago, uh, what was I, 24 years of age, I went to America, and that was... Uh, I think most of you are too young, or maybe Graham up there. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was in the days of the Voice of Healing Ministries. And uh, I went to some of their meetings where oil was coming out of our hands and people were getting healed and everything like that. Just a wave of the Holy Spirit. But then I found out that many of the, not all of them, praise God, Many of them were in the voice of healing. They were in what they called dens of iniquity. And so they would get people saved and healed and filled with the Spirit. Amazing thing. But behind the scenes, and do you know what they did to justify it? They took Paul's verse, just one verse, out of context. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the more we sin the more we'll experience the grace of God. So behind the scenes, they'd have wonderful meetings and they'd be smoking, drinking, fornicating, committing adultery, homosexuality. And they said, the more 
where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. So the more we sin, the more we'll know the grace of God. I said, that is greasy grace. It'll slide you right into hell. See, it was grace without truth. Now, if you have grace without truth, then it gets into antinomianism. Oh, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Why don't they read the next verse, or why didn't they read the next verse? Shall we sin, is the next verse, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So grace is not greasy grace, grace is not lawlessness. So if you minister grace without truth, then it can be greasy grace. Oh, well, once in grace, always in grace, even if I live in disgrace. No, that's greasy grace. Or if you minister truth without grace, then it can be legalism, Phariseeism, um, yeah, just like the Pharisees. That's it. So it's just balance, grace and truth. The law was given by Moses. I'll come back to that moment as I wrap up in a little while. Uh, and grace and truth. Not just grace, but grace and truth. So when he said to her, woman, she was already condemned by Moses. She should have been stoned, and the guy should have been stoned if they'd bought the guy. Bunch of hypocrites they were. They were both under condemn. He said, he ministered grace. Neither do I condemn thee, but then truth. Go and sin no more. So this is what I, well, I never, never answered the email, but this is what I believe. All these people who were prostitutes in uh, Thailand, they should have put him in a halfway house and looked after them financially until they got employment. But to say, well, they had wonderful grace of God and miracles, but there's no other industry, so they went back. So you can't do that. The law was given by mother, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. That's it. Uh, yeah, so I think that's it. So she said, verse 11, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right, now let me, uh, I'm, you're not stopping me, but let me finish. I want you to go over uh, to uh, Titus chapter 2 as I sort of come in for a landing here. How long do you preach, Graham? The everlasting gospel? <laughs> no, no. Uh, let's go over to Titus chapter 2 because uh, this is sort of, uh, and I've, I've, I've done a lot on this in the textbook I did. Okay, so let's go to Titus chapter 2 and this is what clinched it for me. And so whether it's me or Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, whatever, anybody who preaches on the grace of God, I hope and I believe you are an intelligent bunch of people because that is a balanced message. Now, this is how it balanced out for me. Okay, verse 11, I'm going to, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm going to read verses 11 through to 15, and then uh, just uh, uh, milk it a little bit here. Okay, so verse 11, I'll come back to it in a moment, but I w just want to get the scripture into your mind. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. And some of the songs we're singing today just... Good theology. <laughs> Generally, you don't take your theology from a lot of songs today. Oh, God, help me. Okay, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. I'll come back to that in a moment. Teaching us. I want you to notice that. What does the grace of God teach us? Okay, I, I want to give you nine things in a moment. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I uh, better get over to New King James. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, note the word appearing twice there, verse 11 and verse uh, 13, of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth, I'll come to that, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke, I'm speaking these things, I'm exhorting you, uh, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel any, any need to rebuke, but rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Now, just very briefly, I want to give you nine things in a moment, just out of this context. So, let's read verse 11 again. For the grace of God 
that brings salvation has appeared to all men. When did the grace of God appear? The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And notice the words, they're just little words, but they're so meaningful. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came, personified in Jesus. Not given, but grace. So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's the first coming. John's Gospel and the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So the grace of God appearing to all men. And then go down to uh, verse 13 for a moment. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. That's the second coming. So first appearing, first coming. Second appearing, second coming. All right, now let me spell out. Uh, here, verse 12, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Now, what does the grace of God teach us? That's the thing. And I want to give you nine brief things and just a brief comment on each. So, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And the grace of God that appears teaches us. So, I want to ask you, and you ask me, what does the grace of God teach us? So if we have a balanced message on grace, this is what grace teaches. Number one, to deny ungodliness. And what's that? Anything that is not of God or anything that is ungodly. So to deny ungodliness. So am I living a godly life? That's the issue. So this is what the grace of God. So when people say, I'm not on law, I'm under grace, what do you mean? Is grace lawlessness? What do you mean by the grace message? That's what, I'm, that's what I want to ask. And you can challenge me on it, see? Teaching us, number one, denying ungodliness. Number two, because we believe the word's inspired, and worldly lusts. Why don't you put down here, worldly lusts, and that's these eyes of the world and flesh. Put down 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And John says, Love not the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. So we are to deny worldly lusts. That's it. Uh, why don't you add one other scripture here that we know so very well. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And love not the world. That, that's it. It's so clear. So, number two, denying worldly lust, the desires of the world and flesh. Number three, the next thing the grace of God teaches me, we should live soberly. Number three, live soberly. And... Uh, you, you should pardon me saying this, but I'm agitated when I see sweeping through the, all the Pentecostal churches drinking and young people getting drunk. Do you know what the word sober, it's the opposite, but the word sober actually means to be of a disciplined mind. And I mean 0.05, whatever they call you, you'll be... <laughs> USB, you silly boy. Yeah, they are. Because it goes, alcohol goes straight to the brain. It destroys the cells. And we, it's a curse of our nation. Did you know that number one uh, list of young people dying, let, older, let alone older people, is drinking? Drunk driving. It's a, it's a curse. Thousands of our young people being swept into eternity. I say, leave it. Forget it. I am a teetotaler. Total tea. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, so live soberly. To live soberly of a disciplined mind is the opposite to a drinking affected mind or one not sober minded. Very clear. That's what the grace of God teaches me. Number four. Oh, Paul, you're making so much. Yeah, I am, Kevin. This is what the grace of God teaches. And Paul was the greatest revelator of the grace of God in the New Testament. Every letter I, I went through last night, in fact, I typed it all out for myself, 13 letters at least Paul wrote. Every one of them start off, and this is Father's Day, so, so appropriate. Grace 
be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every epistle starts with that. In fact, it's so serious with Paul. He, he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says, this is my sign in every letter that I personally write. I, Paul, give you this sign. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, the source of grace, and our Lord Jesus Christ, the channel of grace. That's it. It's so clear. And Paul is the greatest. But this is what the grace of God teaches us. So where am I up to? Okay, number four, live righteously. In other words, if I live righteously, I'm in right standing with God and before man, and I do what is right because it is right. I don't abuse the grace of God. Um, why, don't, why don't you just, uh, while that thought's in my mind, uh, turn over to the epistle of Jude just a moment. Jude, just before the book of Revelation. Everybody okay? Uh, Jude. <laughs> this has a, a little bit of a cute thing here. Uh, Jude verse 3. Jude verse 3. Uh, reading from uh, New King James. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write uh, to you uh, concerning our common salvation, that's a salvation that's common to us all, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered, uh, once for all delivered the saints. And this is the verse I want you to pick up. For certain men have crept in unnoticed or crept in unawares. Uh, let, let me explain that a minute before I go on. How many have ever, uh, every time I think of this, I think of uh, when I was in Alaska and where this guy went into a cafe and he said to the, uh, the waiter, do you serve crabs here? She said, we serve anyone. <laughs> he was such a crabby old man. Anyway, but have you ever seen a crab walk straight? Did you know that a crab can't walk straight? It always goes sideways, you know. So you look at me like a bunch of crabs, but it can't walk straight. And that's the thought that we have here. Certain, certain men have crept in sideways, unawares. And what do they do? Notice the next one who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn, that word turn is actually twist the grace of God, our God, into lewdness or lasciviousness, the old big word there, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they profess to be Christians, but they don't live like one. And as I say, you know, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen? So they twist the grace of God, a bunch of crabs. And so the certain crabs that have crept into the church and abusing the grace of God. Paul warns against it. Peter warns against uh, twisting the grace of God. Okay, so I don't want to be crabby. Amen? All right, back to Titus as we come in for a landing here. I've got a couple of other things to say. All right, so uh, where are we up to? Live righteous, live in God. Yes, number five. The next one is living godly in this present age. That's it. So it's just like the opposite to number one. Living like God would. Godlike. Opposite to the ungodliness which we deny. We deny ungodliness but we live godly. So how would God live in this age? And number six, looking for his coming. Uh, looking for, what's it say? Looking for the blessed hope. And that's my hope. I haven't got faith for it. How many would like to see the uptaker, not the undertaker? Yeah. I'd like to see the uptaker, not the undertaker. Especially the price of funerals. But uh, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Looking for his coming. So I'm looking for his coming. We may be in that generation that's alive to the coming of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? Thank you for that underwhelming response. Okay. And then number, number seven, I want to uh, just say, comment here. In verse 14, who gave himself for us, what for? That he might redeem, and that's to buy back, to buy out of the marketplace, redeem us from, uh, all King James says, 
redeem us from all iniquity. New King James puts it this way. Every lawless deed. So what I'm saying here is grace is not lawlessness. So when people say to me, well, Kevin, I'm not under grace. I'm, 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 not, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I said, what do you mean by grace? Is grace lawlessness? And some people just say to me, Kevin's a nice old man, but he's so legalistic. He's always preaching the law. Let, let, let me say this while I'm on this little bit here, uh, law. Did you know, and, 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 and because I'm hearing this teaching, my wife and I, as we go down different nations, we've just been to Fiji a few, back, few, few weeks back. Well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, so I'm free to do whatever I like. And you see, one of the big things that's sweeping me around too and I have to deal with this is that uh, anything Jesus spoke before the cross is nothing to do with the church. Oh, I said, okay. Out with the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> Out with the parables of the kingdom. Out with all the teaching of Jesus. When I heard this teaching that's floating around now, I've got eight books against tithing. Eight books. I got one that's four, praise God. You know? And they say, well, that's all under law. And when I said about the Pharisee, Jesus said to the Pharisee, you tithe of mint and herb and cumin and all of that, and you neglect the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, then notice how Jesus endures. He said, these ought you ought to have done, mercy, judgment, faith, and not to leave the other undone. But they say, oh, that's all before the cross. It's all before the church was born. So anything Jesus before, spoke before the cross, it's under law, nothing to do with the church. So I said, okay, out with the Sermon on the Mount, out with the powers, out with all the teachers, it's all before the cross. Cop out. Yeah, Greasy grace. Yeah, Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for that good response there. More, 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 more. <laughs> Everybody here? So... So to redeem us from all lawlessness. Now, let me say this while it's in my mind. I know I'm ranting a bit here, but that's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. The Ten Commandments are all repeated in the New Testament by Jesus and or the apostles. The only commandment never repeated is the Fourth Commandment. Now, think of that. The Ten Commandments, see, the law was given by Moses. Well, I hear, oh, the Ten Commandments are abolished, they're nailed at the cross. Is that so? No, just, just fasten your safety belt. The law, the law was given by both grace and truth. So the Ten Commandments are all repeated in the New Testament by Jesus and all the apostles. Only one that's never repeated is the Fourth Commandment. Now, I want you quickly, um, coming in, I'm coming into landing, so music play softly. Uh, turn over to... <laughs> Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 22. Just a few more minutes here. Matthew chapter 22. How many love Jesus today? And we want to please him. He's the grace of God. So I want to please, please him. Okay, Matthew chapter 22. And uh, we'll go to verse, um, verse 34. Matthew 22 verse uh, 34. I'm just about finished. Uh, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and I, you know I like to play on that word, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Uh, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, if Jesus had been a seven-day Adventist, he would have said, keep the Sabbath. But he ignored all that. Jesus said unto him, said to him, you shall love, everybody say love. love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And Mark adds, with all your strength. So spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, whole thing. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love, everybody say love, love your neighbors yourself. And notice verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now Moses gave ten words, Jesus gave two. And did you know Jesus is not quoting anything new here? 
because after he gave the Ten Commandments, two or three chapters later, he gave him the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. That's Old Testament. And love your neighbour yourself after you give him the Ten Commandments. That's it. The issue is love. Now, let's go over to what Paul says, who's the greatest revelator of grace. Let's turn to um, Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. So when people say, I'm not under law, I'm, not, I'm under grace, well, what do you mean? Are, are you, is grace lawlessness? Okay, uh, Romans chapter 13. And uh, we'll go down to... Which verse am I after? Uh, oh, here, here, here it is, verse uh, eight, 8. Romans 13, verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice the law of love. Love and law. We say, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Just a minute. We're under the law of love. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Where'd you get that from, Paul? Oh, the ten. You shall not murder. Oh, where'd you get that from? Oh, the ten. You shall not steal. Where'd you get that from, Paul? Oh, the ten. You shall not bear false witness. Where'd you get that from? You shall not cover. Where'd you get it? I got it from the ten, Kevin. The law was given by Moses. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. That's it. You see, the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, as I go back to my last couple of words here, is that the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, were written on two tables of stone, externally, telling me what to do, and giving me no power to do it and condemning me if I don't do it. What's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? Jeremiah says, 31 verse 31 to 34, in the days come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, I'll forgive their sins and remember their iniquities no more, but I will write my laws, where? In their minds and in their hearts. That's it. And so the new covenant tables are internal, not external. Not on tables of stone, but on the fleshy tables of my heart, a heart that's sensitive and responsive. That's it. So grace is not lawlessness. So he redeems us from lawlessness, and now it's the law of love. If I love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, I'll fulfill the first four commandments. I won't honour any other gods or make any idols. I'll serve him seven days a week, everything. If I love my neighbours myself, I won't steal, won't commit adultery. I won't do any of these things. That's it. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So the new covenant is not lawless. It's an internal law. How many can say amen to that? Okay, last couple of moments. Go back to Titus as I finish here. And thank you for hanging in there. Okay, so verse 14, and we're up to redeem us from all uh, lawlessness. Who gave himself first that he might redeem us from all iniquity or, lawless, or every lawless deed. And uh, number eight here, purify for himself his own special people. So that purify. And uh, put, why don't you put down one verse here I had here. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 3. And it says, Everyone that has this hope in himself purifies himself even as he, as he is pure. So it's purity of heart, purity of life, purity of thought, purity of word, purity of deed, inward and outward. So that's it. And there's so much filth out there. The hell of vision is just a boob tube from hell. So much filth. I say to my wife and I, if we go to watch a program, 
Out with that, it's taken the Lord's name in vain. Immorality, forget it. Garbage in, garbage out. And, and let me say this thought while it's in my mind. You see, if we don't guard the gates, and you know where, see, sin entered through the mind. And you know how it entered the mind? It entered through unguarded gates. Two gates God's given us here. The, the ear gate. So the devil said to the woman, has God said, question mark on the word, ear gate, and then eye gate, when the woman saw the tree was good for food. Unguarded gates. We have to guard our ears and guard our eyes because they are the gates to the mind. And sin entered through the mind. That's it. Okay, number nine, and everybody said hallelujah. Thank you for hanging in there. So number nine is, and it finishes with this, zealous of good works. And let me give you one scripture on that. People say, well, I'm not under works, you know. No, you don't work for your salvation. But Jesus said, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see, what? Your good works and glorify not you, but your Father which is in heaven. That's it. That's it. Zealous of good works, hot. The word zeal means hot and boiling. So that's it. Good works. Okay, so let me finish. I'm going to read off my notes here as so we land here. Oh, I'm, I'm, that was number nine. Oh, number seven was redeemed from lawlessness. That was my little tangent there. Yes, redeemed from lawlessness. Lawless deeds, being lawless, being a law to ourselves, we are under the law to Christ. So grace is not lawlessness. So when we say, I'm not under law, what are we talking about? I'm under grace. Grace is not lawlessness. Purified in, uh, special people to himself. Uh, and then number nine, zealous of good works. Okay, so let me read this as I finish. Are we living a balanced Christian life in grace and truth? Do we minister a balanced gospel of grace and truth? Do we teach the true grace of God according to Pauline Revelation, biblical grace? Does what you teach produce lives that are characterized by the following? Denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust, living soberly, living righteously, living godly, looking for Christ's coming, redeemed from lawlessness, purified lifestyle, zealous of good works. These are biblical tests of all who preach and teach the message of grace. And we do not abuse the grace of God. Everybody said amen. amen. Thank you for hanging in there. It's ten past five. We're over time. You don't have to pay me for overtime. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you, Graham. And thank you, everybody. For more on this important topic, see Kevin Connor's best-selling book, What Do You Mean I'm Not Under Law, I'm Under Grace? Visit kevinconnor.org for details. These messages are based on Kevin Connor's best-selling book, Foundational Principles of Church Membership. Visit kevinconnor.org for details.